0: Coming up on Stew Does America, how awful is Andrew Cuomo? I'll try to lay it out, but you know, I'm already in my 40s and I might not have enough time before death. Sorry. We look at how these media failures are causing a massive change in how you get your information. And Steve Dace is here with perhaps the most creative way possible for President Trump to deal with Obamagate. If you're on podcast, please rate and review. Remember, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. It's great, whatever and get everything we do on YouTube. Just search for Stu and I'll be looking back at you. Make sure you uh, click that bell and get all notifications, very important. You can get merch as well on the show always at StuDoesMerch.com, dressed to impress my mom. And subscribe to BlazeTV.com. For all the best conservative content, go to BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Make sure to use the promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Now, let's take a closer look at the man haunting our dreams, and our nursing homes, Andrew Cuomo.
1: Stew does America.
0: If you've been watching this show for the last eh, 70 episodes or so, you know that there's only one thing more annoying than Andrew Cuomo. And of course, it's Chris Cuomo. Now, this means when Chris interviews Andrew, it creates a sort of annoyance vortex where everything good around it for hundreds of miles, gets sucked in and destroyed. It's called science. Finally, only after weeks and weeks and weeks of our anti-Cuomo jihad, which means struggle, people are starting to recognize that the governor, who has overseen arguably the world's worst coronavirus-related catastrophe, shouldn't be praised like a deity. Usually godlike figures are the ones healing the sick, not sickening the healthy. The difficult distinction to detect for most of the media. And in case you think it's an overstatement that he's overseen the worst of the worst, here's the data from the Financial Times for 15 of the hardest hit areas in the world. Just in New York City, they've had a 398% increase in excess deaths, only outdone by the province in Italy where all the damage happened on a percentage basis. And as far as total loss of life is outdone by uh, no one. Not Madrid, not Wuhan, nowhere. So as an effort to record the important events of the Cuomo failure for posterity, let's look at the timeline of the utter, complete, and fantastical failure of Andrew Cuomo. March 1st, he announces uh, the, there was the first case uh, announced in New York, and that's where we start our little story. March 2nd, Cuomo declared this. In this situation...
1: The facts defeat fear, because the re- reality is reassuring. It is deep breath time.
0: <laughs> reassuring is definitely the word I would use for this era. I'm just glad to hear uh, that we're going to be just fine. But if you thought this was he wasn't taking the health challenge here seriously, just look at his website. He made a major statement on March 3rd and took bold action the very next day. Finally, it was time for Andrew Cuomo to take this epidemic seriously. Of course, by that, I mean the vaping epidemic. Quote, the nicotine vaping epidemic is a scourge on our state and our nation. You know it. March 2020. It will always be known as the month of the vaping epidemic. While people were passing a virus all over the uh, city, Cuomo launched a petition against vaping. And I'm quoting the website here. The campaign also includes a new hashtag, hashtag no vape NY. Ooh, if only we thought of fighting the virus with a hashtag, then none of this even would have happened. Hashtag no corona NY, hashtag down with COVID, hashtag Cuomo's a On uh, on another note, March 6th, we're up to 44
1: cases now. And Andrew Cuomo uh, couldn't believe you were so worried. We have more people in this country dying from the flu than we have dying from coronavirus.
0: Mm, Sort of thing that gets you ejected from the media these days. But uh, don't worry, everyone. It's just the flu. Continue sneezing on each other. It's all fine. On March 8th, New York finally hits triple digits. 105 known cases. Cuomo continues to tell everyone not to change their lives around that much at all.
1: If you can move to a train car that is not as dense, if you Mm. see a packed train car, let it go by, wait for the next train. Same with the uh, if you're taking a bus. Mm, I'd argue it's probably a better idea to move to a state with a governor that's
0: less dense. That's just me. Cuomo made sure to emphasize that the most important
1: thing for New Yorkers to do was chillax. Keep it all in perspective. I know there's a whole frenzy about it. Mm. The facts do not justify the frenzy. Period. The biggest problem we have in this situation is fear, not the virus. The virus we can handle. It's the fear and the fear is just unwarranted. Great, he can handle the virus, and you were so
0: worried. Mm. The next day, Cuomo continued to berate the idiocy of people who thought this might be a big problem.
1: Context, all these numbers, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? All day long, I have people calling me up and saying, I hear all these numbers, what does it mean? It means you find the positives, you reduce the spread. What is the bottom line? What does this mean? People are reacting like this is the Ebola virus. This is not the Ebola virus. This hysteria that you see, this fear that you see, the panic that you see, is unwarranted. We have dealt with worse viruses. This spreads like the flu, uh, but most people will have it and they get on with their lives. In interest of fairness, we should note that this is
0: Cuomo's best moment of the entire crisis. He actually got something right, which is great. COVID-19 is not Ebola. In fact, COVID-19 would go on to kill more people in just New York in just the first three weeks of April than Ebola has in all of human history. So, gold star for that answer there, Andy. Good job. March 9th was also the day that Cuomo attempted a media stunt aimed at the vilification of capitalism, generally, and Amazon specifically, for their supposed price gouging over hand sanitizer.
1: This is 75% alcohol. It also has a, comes in a variety of sizes. It has a very nice floral bouquet. Little I detector, Lilac, hydrangea, tulips. What does it smell like to you?
0: That press, co- I,
1: it haunts me. The press
0: conference was essentially Cuomo bragging that he can beat the market price of hand sanitizer with prison labor. And to his credit, it is possible to lower prices when you use slave workers. It's great. But the, uh, that's about the three thousandth most annoying part of that clip. I have nightmares of this douche talking about lilacs and hydrangeas and then smelling his hands and then be like, hey, smell my hand. Ugh! how does anybody like this guy? March 11th. Now there are 216 known cases of coronavirus in New York. And Andrew Cuomo is doing shtick at his press conferences, attempting the worst Irish accent in modern history
1: well i'm authorized you know by saint patrick that's who oh yes i have the highest authorization sure Uh,
0: after ruining and i would say the entire country of ireland for everyone on earth including the irish by the way andrew had an interview scheduled and by itself this isn't notable nobody loves the sight of andrew cuomo on television more than andrew cuomo He gets more on-camera exposure than any combination of three dozen porn stars. But there was one place, one place he couldn't go to be interviewed. CNN with his brother, Chris Cuomo. Why? Do you really have to ask why? It's his freaking brother. It would be completely irresponsible for a news network to allow a governor of a state in the middle of a crisis to be interviewed by his own flesh and blood, particularly when his every mistake cost people their lives. And there were a lot of mistakes and a lot of lives. In reality, it would be ridiculous for a supposed journalistic organization to let one brother interview another when there wasn't a crisis, let alone during a developing pandemic. And it's not just me who thought that would be ridiculous. You know who else thought that? CNN, they banned Chris Cuomo from interviewing Andrew in 2013. And after a seven year ban, they thought, you know what? People are dying. There's an economic catastrophe. Now's the time for the governor of New York to get the softest of softball interviews from his little brother. CNN lifted the the ban, unleashing journalism like this.
1: Governor Andrew Cuomo to everybody else, uh, my big brother, I'm proud of you. I love you. Thank you for explaining uh, the hard parts and what's going to have to happen so that we can get to a better place in the future. God bless. I'll talk to you in a second.
0: Proud of you. Mm, I'm proud of you, too, Chris. On March 12th. Now we're up to three hundred and twenty five known cases and Governor Camera is talking to New York one ny one. It's a station in New York. And, you know, in what I would say is probably seen by Andrew Cuomo as the worst moment of his administration. He is forced to do the interview on the phone, so he can't be seen. Oh, that hurts. Listen to him. He uh, hit every one of his key points.
1: Look, we have two issues we're dealing with. One is the virus, which we can handle. Hmm. The second is the anxiety uh, and fear that is uh, is being generated because of the virus. Uh, and that's has many sources, uh, how the federal government is handling it. You have all these uh, people spreading rumors, but that's just what they are. They are rumors. Uh, New York City is not going to close down.
0: Oh, well, that's news. That is a frigging master class on how to butcher the public messaging of a crisis. First, he says he can handle the situation that he blatantly cannot handle. Then he sells to, tells, tries to sell the people, you know. Just relax; it's a no big deal. Just relax. Then he abandons responsibility by blaming the federal government, and you know, of course, he's also blaming people spreading rumors—rumors, rumors, I might add, of things that were actually true. And while Cuomo was very aware of every talking point to deflect the blame away from himself, his awareness of the real world was mystifying. Listen to this exchange with Craig Melvin from March thirteenth.
1: Um, Governor, really quickly here, um, how would you characterize where things stand right now in in New York state with regards to response to to the virus in general? Well, I don't think it's any different here than it is anywhere else. Uh, The anxiety and the fear is as much of a problem as the virus.
0: This is mid-March, guys. You don't think it's different in New York? Without New York, we don't shut down the country, period. I was born in New York. I'm allowed to say these things. Not only with how bad the situation was in New York, but how New York spilled over and devastated New Jersey and Connecticut and then caused almost every other outbreak nationwide. You can blame Andrew Cuomo for a lot of things. You can't blame him for the virus. As you may have heard, he blames Europe for that. Makes a lot of sense. But his constant efforts to deflect responsibility and naive or fake attempts to calm people down as they pass the virus to each other cost real people their very real lives. I started looking at this timeline, honestly, with the intent of walking through this disaster in detail. But I don't have nearly enough time to do that in one monologue. I'd have to cancel the rest of the show. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just do March should be able to do that, and I'll follow up with April later on. But there's way too much to even get that done either. So consider this, the Cuomo timeline. March, part one. If you're coming out of a uh, coronavirus uh, hell, and uh, maybe you compensated for um, maybe a little bit of uh, negativity by eating constantly uh, over over coronavirus hell, like I did, um, you probably want to change things up a little bit, and that's why I want you to consider fast blast and the idea of intermittent f- fasting. It's an interesting concept. It's one I hadn't tried until a couple of years ago, and. It really does work quickly. They, you know, they can. The people at Fast Blast can walk you through an exact plan on how to do it. But it works a couple of different ways. One is like a fasting day, which you do maybe a couple days a week, where you're having these great Fast Blast smoothies uh, for the day, and you know the weight drops off super fast. Like I mean, a couple of days of this, and you drop really noticeable weight, which is what I like about it because it it makes it go it makes it go a lot faster. You know, I. Got to be honest with you, you know, cutting out like, oh, well, when you uh, when you have something to eat, just break off the end and you could save some calories. And if you do that perfectly for the next six months, you'll lose up to three pounds. Wow. I mean, that's really impressive. If I'm going to you know, I'm going to do a little sacrifice here. And, uh, and, and not eat 14 Thanksgiving meals a day. I want it to actually be noticeable. And it happens really fast on those days. And the other days, they have it where it's like a time period. You, you eat in, uh, only in a, a certain window every day. But you eat generally in like a normal day. The weight comes off really fast if you just do these two things. And you're only doing the fasting day two days a week. Let them map this out for you. Uh, the easiest way to make this work and make it so it's, it's simple is by getting these Fast Blast smoothies. Be smart about it. Do your own ho- homework. Make sure it's right for you. Uh, learn more about fasting. It's fastblast.com/blaze. Fastblast.com/blaze. And as always, the slash blaze part in this case is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Get started today with Fastblast for a healthier, happier, and smaller you. It's fastblast.com/blaze. Joining me now is a man you might just recognize from a show right here on Blaze TV. It's the one and only Steve Dace.
2: Steve Dace, welcome to Dallas, which is not where you're from. No, I'd like to be, but I don't have the exclusive say in that matter. No,
0: unfortunately. Yes, Uh, You're in Iowa
2: normally. Yep. I don't know if you know this. There's a a thing going on. You're not supposed to be flying anywhere. I, I decided, you know, all along I have, when I... I urged my audience not to immediately dismiss the virus mm-hmm. because it came from a bunch of people at for, uh, that were warning us about it, largely hate Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Do your own research. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we practiced the disinfectant and the social distancing from the grandparents at first. Mm-hmm. I urged my audience to do the same. I tried to practice the same thing. Then when I started helping with the resistance to this whole thing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, you know, when they opened restaurants, I went right away, mm-hmm. practiced what I preach. When they opened the church, went right away. Mm-hmm. And I've really been on, uh, our listeners and that are sending me notes. Hey, I live in Illinois and I got a dictator governor. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You guys have all the guns, but you think you're living (laughs) under a dictator. Do you even second amendment, bro? Okay. Take your concealed carry Glock and your kid to the playground and enjoy America. All right. And so I decided, you know, if I'm going to urge these other people to get out of the homes, I need to do the same thing. So this is my own little piece of uh, civil disobedience was making the flight down here this week.
0: Which is an amazing statement. Um, So Tell me about the experience of the airport. What, what is what is a what is a normal flight from Des Moines to Dallas like these days?
2: Well, it's a, we give a direct flight. Now I've got a general rule when flying, I, it can't be O'Hare and American Airlines. I will do one or the other. But it cannot be both. Right. Now American flies directly from Des Moines to Dallas, so I don't have to worry about O'Hare. And it was it was 28 days later, The Walking Dead. Really. To see, because Iowa is one of the most open states in the country.
0: Yeah, because I mean, when they used to have the little maps, it always says there's yes. no lockdown.
2: Which yep. is, I mean, there's all everywhere. You can't go anywhere, but right. you're not locked down. Right. Yeah, Basically, Karen yeah. can't call the cops on you, but there's nowhere you can go. Right. Okay. Meant, right? <laughs> okay. But but everything is open, but the casinos in Iowa now. Okay. And. Uh, I mean, we're even doing that 100 percent, like 50 to 75. Yeah. And we're doing high school sports here starting June 1. Oh, wow. We, are, we have a summer sports season with baseball. And even with that, the uh, the extended parking ramps, nobody, co- no cars there. The airport was complete desolation. Um, and, and then you get on the plane. They want you to wear a mask when you're on the plane. It, it, I'm a recovering asthmatic as a kid. Having that mask on my head the whole time Tough. was not convenient. Yeah. So I kept having to take it off and reset it. Um, uh, when I got to DFW, I could not believe how desolate it was there. I had to spend the night at DFW once. It looked the same thing at 630 last night in a rush hour that it did at 3 a.m. when I had spent the night here once before. Incredible. So that was very odd, plus annoying, because it meant that you heard every CNN screen now. And and what was was kind of adorable in a way is I get there and the, the flight's in 40 minutes and the plane's right out there on the gate. And they tell us five minutes to board at five minutes. So I get ready to board, five minutes go by, we don't go on. Another five minutes they come out and say, hey, the thing is delayed. First it's delayed 30 minutes, then it's delayed three hours and the plane's out of commission because apparently they couldn't check it the whole time it was out there. And then they tell us, so, you know, grab a Snickers, not go anywhere for a while. And then they tell us 20 minutes later, we're leaving in 10 minutes. We just had to reboot the computer. Go now. And and that would have set me into a Twitter frenzy about six <laughs> months ago. Yeah. But right now, I kind of felt like it was comforting. The old annoyances and grievances, there was something almost endearing about it. Yeah, you don't get pissed anymore about that yes, stuff. Not, I, we, I look forward to getting pissed about it again. Yeah, yes, yeah. We,
0: we've done the, the restaurant thing uh, a bunch of times since they opened them here. And, you know, the food, sometimes late, you know, those normal normal restaurant problems that happen. Mm-hmm. I will say, number one, you don't get really annoyed by them, at least right now. I'm sure this is going to come back. It's just like 9-11. Everyone was together for like a week and then yeah. everyone hated each other again. Right. Um, but the other part of it is I the service has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Like these people are truly appreciative that you, you, you're out there uh, frequenting their business at this point. Went
2: to dinner with a buddy of mine who drove up from Houston and haven't seen in a couple of years. I and mean, we went out to dinner last night and um, the servers and stuff could not have been yeah. friendlier along the lines of what you're talking about. Yeah,
0: it really is cool. Um, let me change gears here with uh, with a piece you wrote for The Blaze. This is fantastic. It's about what Trump should do as it relates to Obamagate. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the your take on this, which is fantastic, bring what, as, as you understand it, I know Trump was asked this question. And he kind of just said, yeah, everyone
2: knows what Obamagate is. <laughs> well, what is Obamagate? Obamagate to me is the notion that it's absolutely impossible to believe that senior intelligence figures and former and senior intelligence figures that now are essentially professional media commentators Mm -hmm. somehow managed to work together to orchestrate a leakocracy as well as investigations in order to undermine the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency. And so somehow all of these uh, Harvey Keitel bad lieutenants (laughs) either either. Currently or previously in the Obama administration, all were working together with major news networks to pull this off. And somehow the guy at the top who hired all these people and who they all have in common somehow did not know. That's how I would describe Obamagate. And I mean, at least what
0: we know of these meetings, there was clear awareness here. Yes. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I think everyone, at least on the right, steps back and look at, looks at this and says, we hear about these things all the time and, and nothing ever comes of them, right? Like Maybe some low-level person will right. get in a little bit of trouble, a wrist slapped here and there. But I mean, in these things, I mean, famously, you know, uh, Donald Trump ran a campaign where he basically said, lock her up for you know, a year, mm-hmm. and then he has
2: control of the whole apparatus and no one's getting locked Agreed. up. Great. I mean, that that's always been my issue with Trump. I've never been offended at the crazy stuff he says. <laughs> I've always been concerned he would not do the crazy stuff that he <laughs> says. I want him to do the crazy stuff he right. says. That's what I want. Like, I'm all for locking her up. I, I'm, I'm fine if Oprah stands up and says, and you get a cell, and you get a cell, and you get a cell. I'm yeah. fine with it. Yeah. Um, but this, when the Flynn story and everything first broke, I don't know how what you guys thought, but for me, it was like, how do I care more about Mike Flynn's innocence than he does? I mean, he pled guilty not once, but not twice. Yep. Plus, you were asking me to believe that the entire intelligence operation conspired against a three star general who somehow managed a guy who like stands up to, you know, communists and jihadists. Somehow they managed to break him down into pleading guilty not once but twice against his will. And, and I can I, it, imagine. Yeah, and then I didn't think, even if it was all true, they'd never get held accountable anyway. Right. Until one day I, I, I turn on Twitter and I, I, I read a docu dump and it literally says, in, 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 in the guy's handwriting, Here, how, um, how would you like me to entrap General Flynn? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is real? Yeah. I mean, and they just, they just and, they, and then they wrote it down. Yeah. Okay. You're not it, supposed it, to do that. Yes. <laughs> and then you're and then you're like. I, I, then I had this Han Solo uh, moment. Mm-hmm. It's real. All of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and so now I'm like totally radicalized on it. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like I, w- I just got, I refused to believe it for a few years. And now I've gone like totally the other way. And like I want everybody given electric shock treatment or the electric chair. And I'm okay with either one. <laughs> and and so now I'm like conspiring ways to troll this and get people put in prison for it. Because this is, it is so over the top. The fact that they would even leave a paper trail of this. Because yeah. it, it shows if they're, if they're willing to do this with a three-star general. It shows that they have so little regard for accountability, so little regard for the American people that if they think they can just leave the paper trail in writing that they're doing this to a three star general. What do they do to Steve to Stu and Steve?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. What What happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me break this into a couple of pieces here. Is, is, do you think that this was done by the Obama administration because they're trying to sink a Trump presidency, or are they trying to act on a long-standing grievance with Flynn himself, or is, is it a combination?
2: It's usually, yes, and, and also. Yes, and yes. <laughs> and what I thought was would happen all along is that they would pivot from Obama didn't spy on Trump to, well, yeah, he did, but here's why he had to do it. Mm-hmm. He was justified, mm-hmm. okay? And Flynn was the linchpin to a lot of that, right? Because we knew that he had had some form of communication with the, uh, the Sultan of Turkey. Uh, we knew that he had had some form of communication with Putin. Mm-hmm. And so that gave a rational excuse for, hey, you know, why is a guy who used to run the Department of Intelligence talking to a couple of these countries? Sure. And so that gives me some prima facie suspicion. Mm-hmm. And, and if you, see, he's the linchpin to this entire thing. If you take him away... There, at least that I'm aware of, there is no probable cause for suspicion whatsoever. And, and you go back to the Nunez memo, you know, on our show, we read the Schiff and Nunez memos in real time aloud in, on our podcast mm. and, and, and broke them down as, as a team to walk our audience through what we were thinking at the time. And the part about the Nunez memo that always bothered me the most is when the FBI says they suspected that Papadakis or Papadopoulos was a, yeah. was, an F, was a Russian informant all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that begs a question. Did you inform the trump administra- the Trump yeah. campaign that they may have been infiltrated by a Russian operative? if you did not why there 's only two possible answers to that: one, you suspect that the Trump campaign knows this and they 're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Well, then you have to provide some proof to that, or two, this is some form of entrapment and that, because otherwise, why wouldn't you give them a heads up? Yeah. And then we ultimately found out with the Flynn docu dump, they were interested in entrapment here. That's really incredible. Um, and one other thing
0: before we get to your response the, is this a, a point to make Michael Flynn, does this exonerate Flynn? Or does it is it just bad for Obama? Because I keep coming back to the real reason Michael Flynn mm-hmm. was tossed from the the, uh, the I mean, he may have Trump may even give extra points if he knew he lied to the FBI. <laughs> he didn't like that. He lied to Mike Pence. He lied to Mike Pence. Right, right. And like. And so why is he lying to Mike Pence? You know, I know there's some stuff f- from his past that is is questionable. Some of it's real. Some of it's not, maybe. But like the Pence thing is it's got to be bothersome, not only to Trump, but to his supporters.
2: But it doesn't seem to necessarily register. We're in an era right now, and, and, and this goes to what's happening with the virus and everything else, where things that Trump and people in his administration ought to be held accountable for, that are reasonable criticisms, aren't achievable because of how ridiculously insane the opposition is. Like you're not afforded the luxury you feel like of drawing some of the adult distinctions you're trying to draw, right. <laughs> right? If you've if you've got more than one child, you know that just because one of your kids did something worse than the other kid did, yeah. Just because one of the, your kids told mom that uh, you dropped the f-bomb on mom mm-hmm. doesn't mean the other kid calling her an a-hole you're not upset about it now, <laughs> right, right? Right. But what if the other one of the kids dra- gra- grabs a hydrogen weapon and points it at mom's face? Right. Are you then that upset that the other kid called mom an a-hole? You probably let and, that one go. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what's going on here. Yeah. I mean there there are legitimate things that you could criticize questions you could ask and go well yeah but but when the other side sh- when when or the uh, when the counter option is literally showing they're willing to create right like a, 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 in pr- in pencil we're entrapping this guy. When when you see the ridiculousness of how they behave, you almost feel as if I don't have the luxury of taking this up with you right now, yeah. because this is like an ex, this is like an invasion. It's like an existential threat to the country.
0: Yeah, that's a really I, that defines almost every one of these debates right yes, now. Yes, it does. Um, so uh, I I I started I saw the title of your piece, and I thought to myself this audience is going to hate this idea. <laughs> they are going to hate this idea. Right? Then I started reading it, yeah. and I think the
2: opposite might be true. Explain it. I think what needs to happen here, if, you're, if we're not going to lock everybody up, mm-hmm. then what I think needs to happen is Trump needs to hold a rally, and he's do it in Obama's home state of Illinois. <laughs> and he needs to announce that he is going to pardon Barack Obama for his high crimes and misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just beat back the invisible enemy of COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's time for the country to come back together <laughs> and to unify. We've had enough investigations and independent councils and everything else and I know I'm Donald Trump I've been the victim of them for the last few years I know what Barack Obama and his administration did I was the target but if I want us to reunify as a people it's got to start with me as the president and so I'm here to pardon Barack Obama to put this behind us once and for all as a people and I want him and Michelle to go enjoy that 25,000 square foot estate <laughs> they just bought on Martha's Vineyard mine is bigger of course <laughs> of course okay, but but uh, <laughs> uh, clearly you you worked very hard in public life to acquire such wealth, go and enjoy your retirement. I mean, now you
0: can't refuse a pardon, right? Like he can't, there's nothing, <laughs> there's no response to this, right? It's, right. it's totally, uh, I mean, it, is, it would screw with their heads so badly. It would, I mean, it would turn this entire thing upside down. It really is a brilliant strategy. I, 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 do he, you think there's any
2: chance he would take it up? I would, I, I hope so. Because oh, man. what we've watched with Donald Trump is he has, he has shown that he understands the quick-draw capability of, of social media. He's America's troll-in-chief. This is the one troll to rule them all. It's the Boy. troll of trolls. There's no greater troll than this. And what it would do to trigger the opposition, to get them to just absolutely lose their minds, because that's really the greatest benefit that Donald Trump has. The greatest benefit that he has for, if, if, if as a politician is the blessing of his enemies. And they bless him over and over and over again. And and the
0: subtext of this is, Barack Obama's not going to jail anyway. He's not gonna gonna get charged with anything. Like This isn't going to happen. We kind of all know that, don't we? Right. You pardon him, it's, I I mean, you'd have the ultimate bipartisan argument for the entire campaign. And then you like maybe pardon Roger Stone the next
2: day. Yeah, (laughs) mix them all in. (laughs) But you pardon Barack Obama first. Yes. And you do it at your rally, in front of your people, and and you get him to groan and like, wait, what are we doing here? And then but the more you let him in on what's going on here and oh. you get him to applaud Barack Obama and you can say hey you know this is the this is the first time Barack Obama's ever been applauded at one of these rallies and we just we want to reunify the country he brought people together yes. I
0: love it I really hope he does this uh, the column by the way is up on uh, on uh, the President Trump should pardon Barack Obama I mean, what is the reaction, been? Have been people understanding what you're doing it, here? It's or?
2: funny. It, w- a lot of commenters nowadays, we do ready, fire, aim. Yeah. I just reacted yeah. to the headline. Yeah. 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 I Even when I posted on my Facebook page, I said, read it before you comment. Sure enough, three seconds after I posted, it, three comments. No way, no way, yeah, no way. So I know right away they did <laughs> yeah. not read yeah, it. Of course. So if you read it, you thought, I like this. If you didn't read it, you think I'm terrible. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it works,
0: I guess. Yes. Uh, Steve Dace, uh, of course, he's on Blaze TV, along with so many other great shows. Catch Steve's show, along with uh, my own, and so many other, bla- uh, blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code do because that's how they know you like this stupid show and of course they'll take 10 bucks off the price back in a second
1: but tammy is an incredibly competent united states senator with a great deal of heft and lift to her
0: hmm. it's always the way to win a lady over is to compliment her heft that's the way it works. Uh, I, I don't know what Joe's doing as usual, but I'm glad Tammy Baldwin has heft and lift. Both are key to be vice president of the United States. Now, I don't know how exactly you're supposed to win over a deer um, that I'm not sure of. I've never tried before, but there is a new a person working for Twitch, the video game streaming service that uh, I guess is. Now in, in control of of what is right and wrong with the site, if you're doing things that are tolerant or not, and they happen to identify it as a deer. Watch. So but I'm hanging in there, and uh, I'm not going anywhere. I have power. They can't take it away
3: from me. And honestly, you know, I the the these. There, there are some people that should be afraid of me, um, uh-huh. and that they are, because I, I represent uh, moderation and diversity, and I'm going to come for hurtful, harmful people. If you're a really person, I'm going to stand up against you.
0: Um, I, I am afraid. Not really because of the whole diversity thing. Uh, maybe it was the gloves. Could have been the gloves. Back in a second. Let's talk about dreams. We all have them. Small ones are easy to talk about. The big ones, the ones that we really want, eh, not so much. It's like if we say them out loud, there's no chance of them coming true. Well, when it comes to your big dreams, dream big. The bigger, the better. And the dream of a better tomorrow starts with a degree from Ashford University. Ashford University's online bachelor's and master's degrees programs allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule. If you've got a gig already, you got a job, and you don't think you have time for this, you do. Ashford can make it really flexible for you. At Ashford, expert faculty teaches you real-world skills from real-world experience in online classes, Built for life's twists and turns, you can learn from home or wherever you feel comfortable. You can pursue a degree in one of Ashford's 60 plus programs like business administration, healthcare administration, we definitely definitely need some of that right now, and psychology, which we also definitely need some of that right now. Uh, With 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support and financial aid available, Ashford gives you the tools you need to make uh, your dreams a reality. Dare to dream big. Go go to Ashford University. It's uh, no fee to apply, uh, no standardized testing required to enroll. Ashford.edu slash stew. That's Ashford.edu slash stew. And make sure to use the slash stew part because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Ashford.edu slash stew. Not all programs are available in all states. Joined now by Stephen Kent, he's spokesperson for Young Voices, host of the podcast Beltway Banthas, among many things. Uh, Stephen, uh, Joe Rogan just signed with Spotify. He's going to go to uh, Spotify exclusively, I believe, coming in January. The price tag on the signing, mm-hmm. reportedly, $100 million. This is a pretty amazing uh, inflection point in media, isn't it?
3: Uh, It's a huge, huge transition for the world of podcasting. I think everybody who's been doing this for the past really two decades has been wondering how is podcasting going to become profitable? And it might just be that you have to become part of a super crew or justice league on one of these major networks uh, and make an exclusivity deal. Um, Really interesting stuff. Maybe we won't all have to hawk uh, underwear and uh, razor blades for the rest of our lives.
0: (laughs) And I, by the way, if you have razor blades or underwear, I'm I'm ab- absolutely happy to hawk him for you. Um I'm a uh, I am I am interested though in the in the way this is happening because Rogan's a a very uh specific type of person and I we had Bridget Fetissy on yesterday mm-hmm. and we were talking about uh she was just on Joe Rogan uh, last week and it, it, he is interesting in this landscape because he comes off as the opposite of tribal. The the, the tribalistic thing doesn't seem to touch his world at all, and he seems to be one of the only people who's able to live in that in that uh, arena without it becoming a problem for him. Is he just a, a unicorn, or is this something we're going to see more of going forward?
3: Well, I would say that he is something of a unicorn. There's something about the Rogan has built that has made him really immune to this stuff, and I think it's because he possesses a certain lack of disinterestedness in politics. Yeah. I mean, he he does most of his shows. Just on people's hobbies and like wanting to know more about people's gardening life and what they smoke and what kind of video games they enjoy playing. Most of his persona is apolitical. What makes him political is that he asks questions and wants to know why people think what they think. And that's what makes him so controversial, right? You know, he he platforms people like Alex Jones and brings on fringe characters. And he just asks them to explain what they think about stuff like they normally would, <laughs> right. and people consider that to be some sort of stance. But that's what makes Joe Rogan appealing is just sort of his interestedness in in all points of view and willing to ask people about him.
0: Yeah, it's one of the great things of 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 podcasting generally is you are kind of in your own world, and Mm -hmm. it's hard for outside forces to push you around. I mean, that was the case for a very long time in talk radio. Uh, We came up through an era where it got much more difficult. You see on cable news now, these things affect people, (laughs) and and they get pushed back all the time. In podcasting, so far at least, the deplatforming thing hasn't touched uh, this all that much. Um, Yet, uh, Mm -hmm. I I just am, uh, you know, it feels like they're going to chase the money. These groups that are coming after these hosts for saying things they don't like, they just chase where the money goes. And eventually these you know, podcasting will be the next target.
3: Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time before Spotify faces like a real PR crisis with someone like Joe Rogan. But this is a licensing deal. They're basically renting the Joe Rogan intellectual property for $100 million, and they're (laughs) going to see how it goes. But the the kind of the larger point is that, you know, they're going to be doing this with a lot more people and all of their competition are going to be picking their warriors as well as the the meme of choose your fighter. And so this is going to be an arms race between Apple Podcast and Spotify and uh, and Stitcher and, and SoundCloud if SoundCloud even exists anymore. Um- I heard this described as something of like a Pearl Harbor event, if you're Apple Podcasts, because this kind of came out of nowhere, where now they're going to be stripped of their number one podcaster on their platform. Joe Rogan is the top of the hill. Um, so all of us are going to be trying to find place in that in that environment going forward. Like I host Beltway Banthas, and if someone would pay me just $15, I would make it exclusive to their platform. $15? <laughs>
0: That's not bad. I might, just, I might just import it just to my house for $15. Exclusively to my house. I'll come down to ten. All right. Okay. Wow, you're you're not a very good negotiator. We'll work on that later. Um, uh, let me change gears here before we uh, run out of time. Um, uh, and this kind of is related, I think, in, in the way the market moves things. I know, uh, you know, we both really respect the market and, and love, uh, you know, the way it, it 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 does things you never expect it to do. Um, one of the things that's happening now in the middle of this is a big change in the way the food, uh, the food is, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the 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 line of uh, what I'm trying to say, the food cycle. The, I can't think of the stupid name now. But anyway, uh, the way food gets to us. Right. <laughs> that whole that whole problem. We've had these meatpacking plants that have had all sorts of uh, of real shakeups. Uh, New York Times has a story out today saying that they think the the future is no more meat. We're going to be going to Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and all these other products. Now, as a vegetarian, I know the Impossible uh, uh, burger very well. It's delicious. But I don't, is that true? Is it, is it, why are we doing this? Is it uh, COVID? Is it social justice? What's the reason?
3: Well, the New York Times angle is, of course, that, you know, for racial justice and social inequities, we need to transition away from meat uh, and towards more sustainable alternatives and plant-based alternatives. Um, But, you know, I think the real case to be made here is that Every major pandemic that humankind has ever faced has been animal born and born from natural meat, um, handled in irresponsible ways. And it's gonna keep happening until we get wise to possible alternatives. Um, the the market trend I don't think is quite caught up with where Wall Street is. Mm-hmm. Wall Street is finally now giving impossible foods and beyond meat green numbers, you know, good numbers after about a year completely in the red um, Beyond meat has been in the tank, but now they are all of a sudden a valuable commodity because they can produce the product and put it on shelves when the meat packing plants can't. It's a dangerous product, and while meat is very good, and I love it, and I know you're a vegetarian, you know, there is something to be said for evolving as a species and coming up (laughs) with a way to eat that won't make us sick and possibly wipe out millions.
0: (laughs) I I tend to like it. I think it's a good idea, and you know one of the things I really like about Impossible uh, specifically is that they are. Yes, they make all the arguments you'd expect out of people who are freaking making plant based meat. Yes, they talk about the environment. They talk about all those things. However, they also talk about capitalism and they Mm -hmm. talk about how the way that people are going to start actually doing this is not by guilting them into it. It's by making it taste good. And that is a it's an approach that no one had really tried before and certainly had not been able to master. And these companies, I mean, especially Impossible, really is doing a job where they are mastering it. It is really good. Um, And the fact is, that's the only way this this is ever going to change if it's important to you.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's revolutionary, right? Make the uh, make the plant-based burger actually taste good and make people want to eat it and sub it out for their regular food. You can't change people's behavior by telling them they're bad people and they have blood on their hands. They're going to dig in their heels. That's what they do. The New York Times article was was fascinating. The end of meat, why like you need to change your habits so that you can be a better person. I can't think of an op-ed meant to entrench people more in their perspective on what they're going to eat and make it a left versus right issue. That's not what this is. This is about offering up a product that can offer us a way to be healthier and also get what we like, which is great flavor. Like, part of being human is being able to control how much you enjoy things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this this is a really exciting space. I'm not a vegetarian. I love my steak, and I don't think they'll ever be able to replicate it. But gosh darn it, like, if we can come up with something that's more responsible, you know, does actually produce less emissions, doesn't involve Animal suffering. I'll eat it, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it's stupid me. I just bought a pangolin slaughterhouse, and, uh, and that business
0: is down the tubes now. Stephen Kent, though, I appreciate it. Uh, Young Voices, uh, he's also the host <laughs> of Beltway Banthas. Uh, his podcast, I just was purchased for $10, I heard. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge deal. It's going to be on all the trades tomorrow. Uh, Stephen, thanks for coming on the program. <laughs> Back in a second. We're just talking about Impossible Burgers. We go to the break. I find out the CEO of Impossible is on tomorrow's program. So check that out. That'll be an interesting conversation. One review here for you. Uh, it's great. Whatever. Really enjoy the show. At least what I've been, that's what I've been told to say. It's not really helpful. But uh, if you keep putting reviews in and you tell me why you need this knockoff flow I mean, we may just give it to you. There's a few already. Get in line. Five stars. And this thing maybe for you.